0: There's far, there's going too far, then there's us, a tad too far. Where we
1: take ideas far, then bring them back here for you. I'm Athena, here with Taj. Oh. And Diedrich.
0: So, and basically what we're doing is, we take a lot of stuff that comes to the back of our heads. We bring it to the forefront of our heads with
1: everything that we like talking about. And we <laughs> mash them up together and see how crazy the idea can be without getting kicked off the air. So, Taj, where can you find us? Well, you
0: can find this on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and on our website, T A D T O F A R. dot rcom Please subscribe and listen to all past and future episodes. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Edge Case Podcast may contain graphic depictions of violence, explicit language, and other content that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. At the fringes of perception, beyond the boundaries of your mind, just past the glow of the firelight, out of the corner of your eyes, you will find an edge case. Smile anymore by Leah Simmons. Jen never thought she would be someone who would just watch her marriage fall apart. In her mind, divorce was just something that happened to other people, unhappy people, not people like her and Paul. And maybe this was only reinforced by the notion that divorce would be this ugly, cataclysmic thing. But no. Watching her marriage fall apart was nothing spectacular, more like the spreading of numbness in an unused limb. The sharp pain only drawing your attention, once it transforms from the absence of feeling, into pins and needles. Jen had been sleepwalking through life for months, living in what seemed like a comfortable but bland relationship with Paul, who was hardly home long enough from work to have real conversations anymore. Maybe they had just settled into their place most of their other, childless couple friends were at in life now that they were well into their 30s and fully engaged with their mutually successful careers asking for a passionate relationship with your spouse seemed like just asking too much wasn't it better that they had two new cars in the garage that were paid for in cash and a big new house shouldn't they just be happy to have made it this far it was in the midst of this awkward relationship haze when jen opened one of paul's credit card statements and was floored with the first concrete realization that her husband might not only be falling out of love with her, but perhaps was also having an affair. Jen didn't normally snoop through Paul's mail, she wasn't aware that they had an American Express card, and so felt compelled to open the statement and check to be sure that someone hadn't fraudulently opened a card in Paul's name. Again, at first she wasn't sure what it was she was looking at, but there were multiple charges listed in various odd amounts. All of the transactions as high as several hundred dollars a pop. What was really strange, though, was that every single charge appeared to have been from a company listed as simply Keystone Keepers, Inc. The last three transactions for a combined total of $4,800 really drew her interest. So when Paul was back from his business trip to Chicago two days later, Jen decided to confront him. What is Keystone Keepers? Paul looked surprised, but not shocked. Setting down his wine and coughing a bit, Jen wasn't sure if he was trying not to smile out of embarrassment or genuine surprise. Keystone Keepers? (laughs) How'd you hear about them?
0: I saw the credit card statement. We've never had an American Express card. It isn't like you to keep secrets from me, let alone such an expensive secret.
1: Look, I should have told you about this, but I guess it was something I was doing for me, you know? At least, that's how it started. Look, I think we both know we haven't been really happy lately. Nor very honest.
2: Jen felt the pit of her stomach sink just a little further, her body coiling up and ready for what she knew would be the confession that she hoped wouldn't materialize.
1: I think we both know we haven't been really happy lately. Nor very honest.
2: Jen felt the pit of her stomach sink just a little further, her body coiling up and ready for what she knew would be the confession that she hoped wouldn't materialize.
1: It's not like that, and, and I'm sorry I haven't said anything about it, but I, I joined this uh, social club over the summer, and it's been really helping me out.
0: A social club? What kind of social club exactly?
1: It's more like a fraternal organization, but for working professionals. Dale Kriegus told me about it this summer and, and invited me to a few meetings. I kind of brushed him off a while, but he finally roped me into a meeting, and you know, I'm glad he did. Been pretty powerful stuff, so I jumped in full membership and have been going into the seminars and meetings ever since.
0: Jesus Christ, Paul, I thought you were having an affair. Now I can't tell what is worse. What the hell are you spending thousands of dollars on seminars for?
1: Look, I know I should have talked to you about this before jumping in with both feet, but I guess the meetings have just been so impactful to me that I've been really distracted with some of the lessons in goal planning. I was waiting for the right time to tell you but I guess the cat is out of the bag now.
0: Clearly. You know as half of this marriage, it'd be nice to have a clue what's going on sometimes, you know. But I guess this makes sense. The late nights, the working weekends. It's all been this Keystone crap, hasn't it?
1: Look, I'm sorry that it's been coming between us, but I really think it's something that's going to help us in the long run. That's why I finally signed us both up.
2: Hold that thought. Before Jen had a chance to protest, Paul was up and out of his seat, Down the front hallway, and rummaging through his briefcase, Jen took another bitter sip of her wine while she waited. Here. This is what they sent me. Doesn't it look great? The rumpled, trifold brochure.
0: Keystone Keepers Couples Retreat.
2: The final piece to
0: the puzzle of happiness.
2: The cover was a stock photo of two smiling, older white people with all the pizzazz of a church bulletin.
0: You've got to be kidding me.
1: Just hear me out. It's a four-day weekend retreat for couples. They have this big lodge out in the mountains, beautiful and isolated from all the noise of the outside world, so we can just focus on the seminars and our relationship. Like I said, I know you've been, well, less than happy, and so have I. We're busy, we've got full lives, but somehow we're not making time for
2: each other anymore, you know? He flashed a goofy smile, trying his best to pour on the charm. Jen reluctantly opened the trifold and continued to read.
0: Learn all the secrets and tips to developing a long-lasting and satisfying relationship by harnessing the power of the Keystone Keeper's influence principles. Transcend the banal monotony of the typical American marriage with the help of your Keystone Advisor and Influencer Handbook. Paul, is this some kind of cult or something? It sounds really weird.
1: I know it sounds weird, but really... It's been such a great program. I've only been doing it for six months, and it's helped me really kind of, you know, reframe how I see things. Set goals, start new good habits. I know it sounds kind of new agey, but I really think you would enjoy it. Heck, you'll probably even be better at all the courses than I am. And besides, it's just a weekend. Look, look at the back page. Look at that lodge. It's awesome, and it's only a few hours drive and already paid for. They've got the meals covered, on-site spa. Every night they have these formal dinners. I really think you'll love it, Paul said
2: with that goofy smile. And, like the magic he knew it would evoke, Jen did smile, as well as agreed to try the retreat with him. For them. That night was the first night that Jen and her husband had made love in weeks. Paul was already in the shower when Jen awoke the next day. And although it was just an ordinary Wednesday... It felt as though a weight had been lifted off her shoulders, the morning sunshine just that little bit brighter. Maybe despite the cheesy brochure and ridiculous price tag, this retreat could work for them. The optimism from that evening seemed to buoy Jen through the rest of the month, as Paul counted down the days to the retreat weekend. The night before they were to go, they were both giddy with excitement, packing their suitcase together and staying up much too late watching movies. They would be commuting with some of the other couples in town to the retreat. Paul had said that a passenger van had been scheduled to pick them up from their home around 7 a.m., and indeed, right on schedule, the black, unmarked van pulled up in their driveway. A man in a light blue polo and khakis met Paul and Jen at the door to take their bag and loaded it into the back of the vehicle. By the look of things, Paul and Jen must have been the last couple the driver had to pick up. The van was already filled with three other couples. Since space was limited, Paul took the last seat in the back and offered Jen the front seat with the driver. Jen had planned to read most of the way, so she was fine with being solo in the front. Paul was the talker. He'd probably yak the whole ride with the poor people trapped in the back of the van. The driver played no music and spoke little as the van made its way from the suburbs to the highway, then from the highway off the beaten path into the mountains. The soft murmur of conversations from the back did not disturb Jen as she pored over her paperback novel. Paul had warned her that there would be no television and no Wi-Fi or internet access at the retreat, so Jen was trying her best to mentally prepare for a weekend of being unplugged. After roughly two hours in the van, the driver finally put the blinker on to make a left turn down a dirt road. There was no mailbox or other marker save for a no trespassing sign. The narrow dirt road snaked its way through the impenetrable woods, before coming to a small bridge over a creek with fast-moving rapids over large boulders. It was maybe a quarter of a mile before the woods gave way to a large green lawn and a massive log cabin-style lodge, identical to the photo in the brochure. Jen could hear the passengers in the back of the van ooh and awe as she bent the corner of her book to mark her spot. The van came to a stop under the large covered entryway of the lodge, the ceiling of which was held aloft by massive logs as big around as kegs. Greeting the van, where normally a valet would be, was a handsome couple, dressed like they were waiting for a cab to take them to a ball or other fancy equipment. The man was wearing a crisp, well-tailored suit with a bright, white, toothy smile. The statuesque woman at his side wore a long sequined gown and a more somber expression. Jen couldn't help but feel the juxtaposition of such a posh couple and the rustic surrounds as a jarring way to meet guests.
3: Welcome, please stretch your legs. Let Tina and I be the first to welcome you to your Keystone Keeper's Promise Retreat.
2: As the couples all unpacked from the van with creaking limbs and blinking eyes, instinctively they seemed to queue up to greet their hosts. Jen went to grab their bag from the back and tip the driver, but a flurry of bellmen were already rapidly disassembling the pile of luggage into racks and carts. None of them would take her money. Confused, Jen put the money back in her purse and felt Paul's arm around her shoulder as he herded her into line with the other waiting couples.
1: That's Mark Stone. He's the CEO and founder of the Keystone Keepers. I hear the guy is worth billions. Jen couldn't help
2: but raise her eyebrows in surprise.
0: Wow. I don't know too many billionaire CEOs that meet guests for a couple's retreat when they pull up. <laughs> That's kind of nice,
2: isn't it?
1: Yeah. I guess Mark's super hands-on with every aspect of the program. Met him once golfing a few months ago. Super smart guy.
2: Paul trailed off as he and Jen were next to shake the stone's hands. Nice to see you again, Paul. Mark Stone said with a broad, friendly grin. Paul's face lit up the way a child's does when praised by a beloved parent.
3: And this must be your lovely wife, Jennifer?
2: Everyone calls me Jen.
3: My apologies, Jen.
2: Mark enclosed her one small hand with both of his large ones and provided a gentle squeeze. I'll remember that for next time. Mark said with a small bow. The encounter felt very theatrical to Jen like the type of interaction people have on TV instead of in real life. No one is this polished. Mark prides himself
0: on his name recognition skills, so I assure you that he won't mess up the next time you meet. I'm Tina.
2: Nice to meet you both. Tina had the kind of middle-aged beauty one was accustomed to seeing in a daytime soap opera, the Hollywood version of how women were supposed to age. If she had to guess, Jen would say Tina was in her mid-40s, her flawless skin and yoga-sculpted body making it hard not to guess younger, but the hands and crow's feet around the eyes were a dead giveaway. Tina flashed a quick smile at Jen, revealing why she seemed to be keeping a serious expression. She was clearly missing several prominent teeth on the right side of her mouth. Maybe Tina had a drug problem, Jen's catty mind thought. I guess none of us are perfect.
3: Yes, I'm sorry. This is my better half.
2: Mark smiled sheepishly.
3: Tina and I will be your hosts for the weekend, so if there's anything you require, you can call us direct at extension 101. It's been great to meet both of you, but I'm afraid we're taking too much of your time. Please check in at the front desk and get settled into your rooms. Dinner will be served at 7.
2: It all felt very formal and strange, but also exciting as Jen and Paul entered the lodge. The grand entrance doors gave way to the large, open lobby with a huge vaulted ceiling where an elaborate chandelier hung from the peak. Paul got them checked in at the front desk, and a bellman helped them to locate their room on the third floor. They were both pleasantly surprised with the suite. A small couch and sitting area greeted them in the front, a beautiful king bed with a rustic log frame tucked by the window across the far side of the room. Jen pulled the window curtains aside to take in the view, and was not disappointed. They were on the far side of the lodge, And had a beautiful overlook of the woods. Nothing but blue skies and the top of pine trees, as far as the eye could see.
1: What do you think? Pretty swanky, right?
2: Okay, it's pretty swanky. The stones
0: seem kind of weird, don't they?
1: Aren't all super wealthy people weird?
0: You're not wrong about that, but I don't know. I just, I feel kind of out of place with people like that, you know? Not everyone at this retreat are like billionaires or something, are they?
1: Don't be ridiculous. Did any of those couples in the van this morning look like billionaires?
0: I don't know. Maybe they're frugal billionaires. Secret billionaires or something. I just, I just feel out of place. I've never done something like this before, and I guess I feel vulnerable.
1: Well, I sure hope you've never been to a thing like this. Otherwise, I'm going to start demanding to know more about this other husband of yours.
2: Paul said jokingly, digging his fingers into Jen's side and eliciting squeals of laughter from his wife. And just like that... In a tiny moment, it was just like the past year had never happened, and Jen wondered if maybe this was all it was going to take to actually save their marriage. Their welcome packet had described the evening's reception and dinner as a formal event. The lodge's ballroom was massive. The exposed log supports that held up the cathedral ceiling were strewn with white Christmas lights, giving the space a festive, and intimate feeling despite its size. Somewhere near the stage, on the far end of the room, a string quartet was playing soft music, but the murmur of conversations around the room seemed to dampen the ability to discern exactly what was being played. All of the male guests were wearing fine suits, Jen even spotted a few tuxedos, and the women wore gowns that ran the gamut from sleek cocktail all the way up to gaudy prom dresses. Never one to be comfortable in a dress, Jen wore her best-tailored black suit with a low-cut satin camisole. Can I get you a drink? I could use a drink. Jen was checking her watch. Fancy social events weren't her kind of thing. Sounds good. Paul gave her a peck on the cheek and disappeared into the crowd. Jen looked around the room in vain, hoping to see someone familiar, but it was just a sea of nameless faces. Most of the people appeared older than Paul and Jen, But for every handful of gray-haired couples, there was a young couple in their 30s. Jen figured every marriage had its own timeline for disaster and wondered how many of the gray-haired couples in the room were on their second, or third, marriage at this point. Oh, a suit, that was a great idea. (laughs) A woman's voice from behind Jen. She turned around to see the source of the unfamiliar voice and was met by a woman about the same age as Jen. Her champagne-colored dress perfectly accenting her skin's brown hue. It is freezing in here. I'm always cold, so
0: wearing a jacket's just made sense for these sort of things. Besides, I've never been much of a dress
4: person. Hi, I'm Naomi. It's nice to meet you. Jen, same. I'd introduced my husband, but he ran back to our room to get me a jacket. Good idea. My husband went to get me a drink.
0: Guessing if he's not
4: back soon, I'll need to call out the search dogs. Well, if he's looking for a real drink, he might be looking all night. I didn't know this was a dry resort when we signed up. Not to sound like a Lush or anything, but alcohol just seems like something that will facilitate relations for couples, if you know what I mean. So what do you do when you're not attending remote couples retreats? I do purchasing for a retail outlet.
0: It's not glamorous work, but it lets me revel in the joys of Microsoft Excel spreadsheets.
4: You? Real estate. Granted, my husband would argue I'm just a professional sandwich eater. It's not my fault the best deals get made over lunch. He's an engineer, so what he qualifies as real work is clearly more complicated than I can understand.
2: Oh, and here's the hero now. A tall, handsome man with a perfectly manicured goatee emerged from the crowd and placed a lace shawl over Naomi's shoulders. She leaned over and planted a kiss on his cheek. Thank goodness
4: you found it. I was in danger of turning into an ice block.
1: You didn't make it easy on me. (laughs) Exactly how much did you pack for this weekend?
4: Jen, this is my husband, Marshawn, finder of warm clothing and engineer extraordinaire. And for the record, he also packed enough clothes to last for a month.
1: It's a pleasure to meet you. Naomi's never been a shy one, so I'm glad she's already making friends. You should come sit with us. I was able to snag a table up front by the stage if you don't already have
2: a place to sit. Jen agreed and told them she would find them at the table as soon as she located her husband. Wandering over to the bar, Jen picked Paul out of the crowd immediately by his distinct laugh. It sounded to her like he was trying just a little too hard to enjoy someone's joke. Paul was holding two champagne flutes, and standing in a semicircle of strangers and Mark Stone. Never fearing to break up a good old boys' club, Jen entered the circle and took one of the champagnes from Paul's hand. Taking a sip, it was clear to tell it was non alcoholic, but tasted refreshing nonetheless. Sorry about that, dear. I ran into the guys here, we just got to talking. Paul said this more to excuse his behavior to the other men in the circle than to Jen. This was just the way paul was when he was trying to influence his peers jen had always picked up on his awkwardly desperate vibe when they attended large gatherings together like the chamber mixers once upon a time it was a trait jen found endearing now it was nothing more than an annoying sign of weakness no need to apologize i was
0: just going to let you know i'm making new friends too We'll be sitting at one of the tables at the front of the room when
2: you're ready. It was easy to find Naomi and Marshawn at the front amongst all the old, white-haired couples. Jen sat next to Naomi and parked her two now-empty champagne foods.
4: Whoa, I guess I'd tell you to pace yourself if this were
2: any other time.
1: It's not that big of a deal, babe. One weekend without alcohol isn't gonna kill anyone.
2: The waitstaff was bringing up the dinner salads and rolls by the time Paul made his way to the seat at Jen's side. Quick introductions were made around the table and everyone dug into their plates. Polite conversation made its way around to all the couples at the table, and Jen found it comforting to know that all of them were pretty normal. Sure, there were some snide jabs here and there, but nothing vicious. It wasn't like anyone was the fictional couple the Lockhorns from the Sunday comic strip. After the salad plates were cleared, prime rib with mashed potatoes and asparagus was paraded out, and conversation came to a halt. Always the highest praise a good meal can receive. The group had only a few bites of the main course when there came the sound of someone turning on the microphone on stage. Mark Stone stepped into the spotlight behind the podium.
3: I apologize for interrupting your meal. Please continue eating while I speak. I just wanted to make sure on your first evening with us this weekend that you received a proper welcome. First of all, I want to thank all of our Keystone members for your sustaining support. Without your membership, your involvement in the organization, and of course your passion for our mission, we would be nothing. I would be nothing. And so, for that, I thank you. Second, I would like to thank all the new members. If you're a Keystone member who joined in the last year, please
2: take a stand and be recognized. Sheepishly, Paul put down his silverware and stood for the applause, as did Marchand and one of the men seated at the table. Once the applause died down, Mark continued to smile at the audience eager to get on with the program.
3: And last but certainly not least, I would like to thank all the wives. Thank you, ladies, for trusting us with your husbands and, in turn, taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us this weekend for this joint adventure with your life partner. We ask a lot, we men, but we know we couldn't do it all without your support. Gentlemen, let's give all the ladies in our lives a round of applause.
2: All the men in the room obediently clapped. Some even went so far as to stand and applaud their partner. Jen couldn't help but feel just a little embarrassed by the whole gesture. At this rate, it was going to be a very long weekend indeed. The applause finally died down, and Mark resumed his address. Alright, enough of the applause, get back
3: to eating. I just wanted to say thank you, welcome, and more than anything, brace yourself for this weekend. Those of are new to Keystone Keepers, you're in for an intense and challenging weekend, but one in which you will emerge not only a better version of yourself, but a stronger, better version of your marriage partnership. Good night, and enjoy the rest of your evening.
2: Dinner passed with polite conversation and slid into dessert as the waitstaff brought out each guest a heaping slice of chocolate cake and rich black coffee. As plates were cleared and guests began to get up and mingle once again, Jen saw her brief opportunity to escape for a nicotine fix. By the far hallway, where the bathrooms were, Jen located the latch to the French doors behind the white, semi sheer curtains and slipped outside into the crisp evening, virtually undetected. Paul hated when she smoked, but he wasn't around often enough to notice. And besides, it was nice to be able to get away from all the people, even if it was just for ten minutes or so. Jen inhaled her first drag and felt the tension release from her body. Within a few moments, though, She realized she wasn't alone.
0: Are you gonna tell me there's no smoking here either?
3: Technically, smoking is banned on the premises, but I won't tell anyone if you won't. Do you want one? No, I actually quit years ago, but thanks, Jen.
0: You are good at names. Are you hiding out from the crowd too?
2: Not exactly. He was now standing face to face with Jen, the muted light from the curtained windows casting his face in a soft glow. That made his expression hard to read. I actually came out here to find you. Chen was unsure how to react to this confession. Well, I was just
0: going to finish this and get back inside. I should probably make sure Paul isn't looking for me.
2: He
3: isn't. In fact, I asked him where I could find you, and he said that you would likely slip out for a cigarette. Like any good husband, he knows his wife well.
0: Yes. Well, it's a bit cold
2: out here. I think I'm going to head inside. She dropped her cigarette and ground the butt into the concrete using the toe of her black pump. She went to reach for the door handle but found that Mark had stepped between her and the door, effectively blocking her path. Please stay.
3: You don't know much about the Keystone Keepers or this retreat, do you?
2: Not really. Paul didn't tell me much. Jen crossed her arms, trying to distance herself from Mark. She was trying not to telegraph her discomfort with the situation but was finding it difficult. I'm sure any
3: online research you did couldn't turn up much info either. We do our best to make sure that what we do stays private. What we do is very confidential, but that's only because we need absolute trust from our members. Trust is the first step to evolving to the next level in our program, you see. Paul is very
2: trusting. I feel like he has a lot of potential with Keystone. Jen wasn't sure what to say in the awkward silence. She ached for another cigarette to relieve the tension.
0: Is that what you wanted to see me about?
2: how much I trust my husband?
3: No, I wanted to see how much you trusted me.
2: He extended his arm toward Jen. Like a deer in the headlights, Jen was frozen as he took his hands, and gently ran them through her hair. He took a step closer, and placed his other hand at the nape of her neck. What are you doing?
3: This is the first step. We call it the cornerstone. Building trust with the other members of the
2: group, forging bonds that cannot be broken. Mark leaned down and planted a hard kiss on Jen's lips, His tongue a sudden intruder in her mouth. Shocked and disgusted, Jen pushed herself away from him and nearly tumbled over her own feet in the attempt. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's okay.
3: The first step is hard. If it makes you feel any less guilty, Paul gave me permission. Fuck
2: you. She pushed past Mark and stormed into the lodge. Paul was not in their room when Jen got there, but that didn't stop her from starting to stuff all of her clothes back into her suitcase. She had nearly packed everything when the door lock buzzed. An astonished Paul entered. Their eyes locked for a brief moment, the anger in Jen's face giving Paul pause before opening his mouth.
0: I'm leaving. I don't care what you say. I'm leaving, and I'm leaving
2: now. You can't leave. Look, it was all some misunderstanding. Paul moved to block his wife's exit. He tried to grab onto Jen's arms, but she easily thwarted his attempts.
0: Misunderstanding? I don't know, Paul. Pretty hard to misinterpret
2: someone trying to shove their tongue down my throat. Paul sighed, and Jen was unsure if he was frustrated or defeated. Look, it's not like that. This whole thing is
1: about building trust, testing limits.
0: Well, my limits were tested, and that's all it takes.
1: I'm done with this. Look, Jen, he wasn't testing you. He was testing me. I'm new, and Mark wanted to see how I would react to a challenge to my ego. Something that pushed me out of my comfort zone. I'm really sorry. I didn't think you would really act on it. I thought it was
2: all just a bluff. Well, the guy's a creep. I don't like it here. Paul, I, I want to go home. The two argued back and forth for another hour, before Jen was eventually persuaded to at least stay the night. But she made Paul sleep on the couch. When the alarm went off at seven o'clock, Paul wordlessly got up to take a shower while Jen longingly stared at the lack of bars on her cell phone. It was a solid 20 minutes at the front desk, Paul trying to reason with the front desk staff, and Jen trying not to outright curse every other word. There was only one taxi service in the area, and after three separate attempts to call them, Jen had to accept that she was stuck until at least Monday morning. Sorry,
1: ma'am. They don't usually answer on the weekends, but it was worth a shot. Try again Monday morning, and I'm sure we can get something arranged. Until then... Do take advantage of this complimentary spa coupon.
2: Jen walked down the hallway to where breakfast was being served, crumpling her spa coupon up into a tiny ball and tossing it in the wastebasket before spying Naomi seated by herself. This is going to be a long weekend. Jen plopped down in the empty
4: seat next to Naomi. I was wondering where you were. So are you arguing at the front desk earlier, really? and I figured I'd just steer clear. You looked fit to be tied.
0: Yeah. I want out of here, but evidently we're so high in the backwoods that the taxi service doesn't operate on the weekends. Day one and
2: you're already trying to leave? That might be a new record for a couples retreat. Well, let's just say that things got uncomfortable last night. Jen sighed and looked around the room. Thankfully there was no sign of Mark Stone. Or any men for that matter.
4: Where is everyone? Didn't you read your flyer? Today we have the wives and husbands separated for the day? Kinda nice if you ask me. Are you okay, Jen? Yeah, I'm fine.
2: Nothing some time in the spa won't fix, evidently. The rest of the morning plodded on slowly. Once breakfast had been cleared, a woman named Marissa came up to the podium to address the group of women. Unlike Mark's energizing presentation style, Marissa was a slow and monotonous speaker that made Jen thankful they left the urn of coffee in the meeting room. The presentation started out with the history of marriage, and then dovetailed into the history of Keystone Keepers. It was founded back in 1997 by Alan Keyes and Mark Stone, hence the name. Though details were scant, it seemed to Jen like a poorly written movie plot. The friends and former college roommates had fallen on hard times by the mid-90s. Both were unemployed and newly divorced, lives spinning out of control into darkness. Then one day, they decided that enough was enough, and took what little money they had between them, and determined to go on a backpacking trip in the Appalachian Mountains. They hiked for several days before coming to a remote area, where they found what was left of an old stone bridge. Now, after years of being worn down by the elements, nothing more than an archway of stones bending over the water like a rainbow. For whatever reason, the friends camped out at the site, and over the course of several days concocted the guiding principles and framework of what would become the Keystone Keepers. There were no pauses for questions or comments as Marissa zipped through the slides on the overhead projector. It all felt a little like a poorly run Bible retreat, and Jen couldn't have felt less like a believer when the group took their first break around 10.30. Most were happy to refill their coffees and empty their bladders, but Jen slipped outside to steal a cigarette. Thankfully, this time, no one seemed to notice. Once they started back up again, presenter Marissa seemed to have a little more enthusiasm, but the content was every bit as droll as the first session. Now the lesson seemed to focus on what the Keystone Keepers were really all about. Loyalty and obedience. Marissa brought up on the screen a pyramid that showed in bright gold the words Wealth, Prestige, Success in cartoonish gold letters at the top of the pyramid. Underneath were a variety of dull, grayish words like hard work, accountability, leadership, fastidious, confident. There was no escaping the single word that created the pyramid's foundation. Loyalty.
0: In all things, loyalty is the bedrock of building. Whether you are building up your own character or reputation, business venture, or personal relationship. As a spouse of a Keystone Keeper, your loyalty is crucial to the success of the program. It is because of the power that a loyal and steadfast wife can bring to her husband that Mark and Alan developed this weekend retreat to involve the wives of their members and show them how they can support their husbands in their development as a Keystone Keeper.
2: Jen could feel herself almost physically bristling at the speaker's words. What kind of weird... Backwoods organization is this? In the dark, it was hard to tell, but most of the women in the audience seemed to be rapt at attention at every word Marissa said. Well, with the exception of Naomi, who seemed to be paying more attention to the evolving doodle on her napkin. The longer Marissa's presentation on loyalty and the place of the wife in the eyes of the Keystone Keepers, the more uncomfortable Jen felt. Maybe she was wrong, Paul hadn't joined a cult so much as he had some weird, hyper-masculine relic of the past. Mercifully, Marissa ran out of slides and material to cover, about an hour before the men were scheduled to break and join the wives for lunch. Again, most of the women in the room either made for the restrooms or busied themselves with more coffee. Jen had other plans.
4: I don't think I can take any more of this. I hear you. I mean, I've sat through some pretty boring and ridiculous training classes, but this whole thing is a joke. I guess it's just what you get when a couple of rich frat boys decide to backlash against women's
2: lib. Naomi seemed to be taking things in stride, but Jen was reaching her breaking point. She was still furious about last night, and now having tasted what the Keystone Keepers were clearly all about... She wasn't about to give them any more of her time.
0: I'm leaving. I don't care if I have to walk the 30 miles back to civilization. I'm going to go crazy if I have to sit through more of this bullshit. You're not serious. In those shoes? You can come if you want, but I'm not waiting for Paul to try to convince me otherwise. He doesn't care anyway. He only brought me here so he can toe the line with this stupid boys club of
2: nonsense and kiss Mark Stone's ass. Jen checked her watch. It would be another twenty minutes before Paul and the men broke for lunch. Easily enough time to slip away unnoticed. He can keep the keystone keepers. I'm out of here. Slinging her purse over her shoulder, Jen made for the door, but decided to stash one of the bottled waters before leaving. Looking around and seeing no one beside Naomi watching her moves, Jen went out the door. She was surprised to find Marissa waiting for her in the hallway. Acting as casually as possible, Jen tried to make her way past her to the lobby but Marissa stepped in her way to block her.
0: You can't make me stay here. I know that, but you should stay.
2: Marissa didn't look like a trophy wife like Tina Stone, though. She had minimal makeup and was letting her sandy blonde hair naturally gray. Look,
0: it gets better, okay? It's going to
4: be
2: hard at first, but you have to just trust the principles and stick it out. Jen couldn't help but notice that Marissa was shaking, just slightly, like a cold draft only she could feel was bearing down on her. Looking around at the empty hall... She leaned in close to Jen's ear. Jen could now notice that, much like Tina Stone, Marissa was missing at least three of her back molars.
0: Don't go through the lobby.
2: If you slip out the door by the bathroom, they may not notice at first. Incredulous, Jen simply nodded and backed down the hallway towards the bathrooms. She couldn't help but think that maybe her initial suspicion about all these people being on drugs wasn't that far off the mark. Outside, Jen made quick work to skirt the edge of the property's manicured lawn, staying close to the edge of the forest, before meeting with the road she had just taken the other day. The forest hung overhead in a tunnel-like canopy of green, the grey sky shone through what little spaces were available between the leaves, and Jen hoped that at the very least it wouldn't rain on her. The peaceful sound of the wind through the trees was the only thing to punctuate the silence of the day. It was as if Jen felt more and more confident with her decision to leave with every step. Naomi was right, the kitten heels hadn't been an ideal choice for the track, but the feeling of release made it easy to put any foot pain out of mind. Jen could already see the main highway up the next smooth curve in the road when she heard the sound of a car engine approaching. Jen did not recognize the black sedan, but she could make out two men in the front seat one of which pointed at her as it approached. Jen had felt like she had shed her anger and frustration the further she got from the lodge, but in this moment tried to muster some of the inner anguish so that she could do or say whatever was needed to persuade that she was not turning around. With the car in park, the two men exited the vehicle, but Jen did not recognize them. They were wearing nondescript black suits with white shirts and looked more like nightclub bouncers than attendees to a couple's retreat
3: Mrs. Lambert, we'll need you to come with us immediately.
2: Jen was about to protest when the other men simply snatched onto her wrist and began pulling her towards the car. What the hell? You can't touch me! I'm not going back! The men did not pull up to the lodge's grand entrance, though. Instead, continuing the curve of the drive around the southern side of the building, back along the woods, to what appeared to be a delivery entrance for the kitchen and linen service. Another pair of men in black suits were awaiting their arrival at the dock door. She was roughly escorted from the car, through the loading dock door, then into the kitchen, into what appeared to be a small conference room, already set up with a projector screen and chairs for a lecture. Marissa was in there waiting, her head bowed like a scolded child. Glad to hear you called in the entire secret service. Jen was then placed in one of the chairs and zip-tied in place snugly, the thick nylon cords digging deep into her skin. Yelling and cursing at the suited men, Jen did her best to fight off, but it was clearly not helping her situation. They moved deftly, like robots with a purpose, or perhaps robots that had performed a task to perfection. Exhausted by her efforts, and frankly now quite frightened, Jen found her heart racing and her lungs heaving for air. She turned to Marissa, who was the only person in the room now she would not return Jen's gaze. Did you do this, huh? Jesus, you sneaky bitch.
0: All I was trying to do was get the fuck out of here and you call in this, this goon squad. As Marissa
2: lifted her head, Jen could see that her eyes were red with tears. She began to shake as she just shook her head side to side, her mouth quivering but unable to speak. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Mark Stone entered the room. He was wearing a tan well-tailored suit with no tie, the neck of his baby blue shirt unbuttoned, and casual in a way that gave Jen the impression that he had been called in from the mojitos on the tennis courts. He did not break his somber expression as he spoke.
3: I'm sorry I had to come to this, Jen, but the Keystone Keepers are an organization of order and loyalty above all else, but don't worry, we're also an organization that believes in second chances, and third, and four, and even fifth chances.
2: "'None of us are perfect, but all of us can reach perfection if we follow the rules.' Mark turned his gaze to Marissa, and then walked calmly to the shaking woman. Taking her chin in his hand, he looked hard into her face. "'I'm very disappointed in you.
3: You will bear witness as you bear the responsibility.'
2: Marissa whimpered, returning her head into a solemn bow. "'Wordlessly, Jen tried flexing her arms and legs, willing her body to grow, and maybe break the bonds that held her tight.' But the thick vinyl zip ties did nothing but dig painfully into her skin. She could remember seeing a YouTube video making the rounds on Facebook about how to escape these sorts of situations. But no details were coming to mind. If anything, the whole situation just seemed to be baffling.
0: Look, I don't know what the hell is going on here. I just want to go home. Why are you keeping me here? I don't want to be in your
2: little boys club and follow your stupid boys club's rules, okay?" Mark sighed and leaned casually against the back of one of the chairs in the room. Then, as if waiting for his cue, Paul sheepishly entered the room and stood next to Mark. He too looked like a scolded child, refusing to make eye contact with his wife. He looked so oddly formal in his only blue suit. His favorite teal paisley tie a little too long, always a sign that he had tied it himself without asking Jen for help.
0: Paul, what the fuck is going on? You've got to get me out of here!
2: Paul's gaze did not leave Mark, the two men now standing in profile to Jen, eyes locked as if to shut out the distraction of anything else in the room. Paul, remember this morning's lesson.
3: Every failure is an opportunity, and though your wife has failed to show her loyalty and obedience to you, her husband... This is your opportunity to demonstrate your loyalty.
2: Mark placed his hand on Paul's shoulder like he was addressing his son.
3: I know it is difficult, but just as a tree can grow from a stone, persistence and time will reward those who reach for the higher plane.
2: What are you doing, Paul? Jen was finding it hard not to let the fear take hold of her, but the distinct squeak in her voice made it nearly palpable. She watched in horror as Mark reached into his jacket and then handed something to Paul. A pair of channel lock pliers. Paul took the tool in his hand, and wordlessly nodded. Fear made the blood in Jen's veins run cold. Drugs, she thought to herself. They're all on drugs. Paul turned to face his wife, and though his expression was somber, his eyes looked electric with terror. Paul, what are you doing? Jen pleaded, the zip ties digging deeper into her skin as she squirmed in the chair. Unseen men, the ones who had so forcefully escorted Jen back to the lodge, now took hold of her to keep her still. One large hand clamped down on Jen's forehead to keep her from turning away.
0: Paul, stop. You're scaring me.
2: I just want to go home. I'm sorry. Then, with a fortifying touch on the shoulder from Mark stone, Paul seemed to find his voice again. I'm sorry, I have to make you understand, but you will. And we'll be so much happier when you do. Though Jen's pleading gaze was still on Paul's determined eyes, she was frightfully aware of the tool in his hands. To Jen... It was as if everything was happening in slow motion. Maybe that's just your... Maybe that's just the way your brain works when it's flooded with adrenaline. Jen never thought that she would be afraid of her husband. But in that moment, she was swallowed by fear and the dread of her inescapable fate. I
3: know something that will help.
2: Gingerly, he undid the tie around Paul's neck, and wrapping it around his hands like a length of dental floss, he pulled it taut like a bowstring. Coming behind Jen's head he gently put the silk tie in her mouth, and then, forcing it open and pulling it back hard, the creases of Jen's mouth burning from the material so that she could no longer talk. Now there was no fighting the tears, as Jen continued to cry out in inaudible gurgles, her husband, a dispassionate stranger, opening the jaws of the pliers over one of Jen's right molars. I just
1: want to make us happy again.
2: Spring came late that year, and as such, the dog days of summer seemed to drag out into the last week of August. By this point, most of the yards in the neighborhood had already gone patchy with brown spots due to the prolonged summer heat. But the grass looked like a forest green carpet outside the Lampert House, the for sale sign in the front yard, clear evidence that every possible measure was being taken to ensure a good impression on prospective buyers. Jessica Shemp was the very first prospect the realtor had even convinced to look at the place. But at least the comments seemed hopeful. All parties involved were hoping for a speedy sale. So, what do you think? It's a great size house for the price. You said it just came on the market the other week? Yes, very motivated sellers. The realtor was putting a positive spin on what she knew was just another homeowner in a dire situation. She knew that if the Lamperts didn't get the house to sell for their asking price that have to foreclose on the property at month's end. More house that they can afford right now, so they'd like to downsize.
4: I guess that makes sense.
2: That's a shame, though. It seems like a lot of people getting burned on real estate these days. Mrs. Shemp was checking out the hallway photos decorating the living room walls. They were the kind of regular family photos you'd expect. Just a nice ordinary couple posing at vacation spots. You only know the half of it. They're nice folks, though. A little odd, but nice. The realtor couldn't help but notice Mrs. Shemp's gaze lingering on some of the photos.
0: Yeah? I was just going to say, they look pretty normal, but doesn't it seem weird that the wife never smiles in any of their pictures?
1: You know, that's the funniest thing. It sounds crazy, but she had some kind of drug problem? You see, she's missing almost all of her teeth.
2: Don't Smile Anymore. Directed by Robert Mayling. Written by Leah Simmons. Music Director Malia Lakomsky. Editing by Robert Mayling. The voice of Jen was Tamara Huffman. The voice of Marissa was Megan Holzmer. The voice of Mark Stone was Adam Wells. The voice of Marshawn was Jake Cox. The voice of Mrs. Shemp was Ari Show. The voice of Naomi was Leah Simmons. The voice of Paul was Nathan Holtz. The voice of the narrator was Tiffany Clanton. The voice of the realtor was Luke Johnson. The voice of security guard was Alan Regimbole. The voice of Tina was Emily Wilson. This podcast is made with love by Edge Case Podcast crew who thank you for listening. Special thanks to Aerie Show Dominic Weineke, Amanda Mayling, Deborah Mayling, Joanna Keen, and Peter Pishke. If you would like to learn more about Edgecase Podcast and how you can support the dedication and hard work of our cast and crew, visit Patreon.com/Edgecase. This audio production is copyright 2019 by Edgecase Podcast.